Hi, I'm Rebecca Cohen. And I'm Maya Grant. And this is The Sauce, the culture and politics podcast where we drink cocktails and ruin the stuff you love. I think we're going to have to just like ruin the MCU once and for all because I don't think I can watch another MCU movie. <sighs> you're, ju- you're getting ahead of yourself here, Maya. In oh, this man. episode, we're going to ruin <laughs> The Avengers. All right, so Maya's super enthusiastic and excited to talk about The Avengers 2012. (laughs) I definitely forced her to watch it for reasons that we'll get into shortly. But before we get into all of that, we got to catch up. I mean, it has been a while. We have not been producing episodes on a regular basis the past month or two. We've uh, had a lot of stuff going on in our lives. But here we are. So Maya, now that we're here, how are you doing and what are you drinking? I am drinking straight tequila (laughs) with some hibiscus tea back because it's the hibiscus goes with the, you know, and actually hibiscus tea, listeners, is very good for liver function as proven by actual scientists. So like evidence-based. We have the studies. We have actual studies by real scientists. Did you say it's good for liver health? Liver function, yeah. Okay, that the tequila will help with that too, right? Hundred. I guess it's like a yin yang thing. They offset each other. <laughs> and in terms of how I'm doing, as I was just telling Rebecca, I've been having some crazy health stuff at home with my kid, and we are now on the other side of it. And now that we are getting to the other side of it, I'm processing just how difficult it was. So, listeners, I appreciate you. Thank you for your patience. It's been kind of rough around here. But everything is fine. No worries. We are getting better. But good Lord, this being a mom thing, this is some shit. As I always say, you chose to spread your legs. (laughs) 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 No, I kid. I kid. But honestly, this is why I could not have kids. It's like, good Christ. Oh, my God. It's more than a job in itself. You have been dealing with a lot. I know that. What kind of tequila are you drinking, though? Of course, it is always the Fortaleza. Actually, somebody had gotten gotten us a bottle of some of some you know nice other tequila blanco, and then I was like, "Why am I? I want what I want. I want yeah. what I want." And you should um, have what you want. God damn it! Uh, you know what I haven't tried yet, which I might have to try. We got this bottle from some lawyers. You know, because at the end of the year, all the lawyers send my lawyer husband bottles of booze as a, right. you know, Christmas yeah, yeah. gift or what, a holiday gift. And they sent us a bottle of cannabis extraction liquor. What? Yeah, it's like liquor, but it's weed. And is I'm kind of like, is it what? grain alcohol? With like an infusion of some kind of cannabis or... I don't know, but listeners, next week, we are going to all experiment together. Yes. Oh, (laughs) we are. I need to know about this. I I want to know what this product is and I want to see you drinking it. It is legal in California and I'm going to give it a try. All right. But for right now, you're, you're enjoying your Fortaleza and your hibiscus tea to offset it for your liver. And so that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Chag Pesach Sameach. Oh, How are you. you doing? What are you drinking? Chag Sameach to you too. 
It is Passover. It's also just been Easter and it's also like Ramadan, like all at the same time, which I think is really fun. How, how did that, I wonder why that happened. Why does every major religion have a <laughs> spring celebration <laughs> festival? Right, right. God. Um, I'm doing fine. Uh, okay. I, I did have, as Maya can see, but listeners obviously can't. I was wondering if you were gonna... <laughs> I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm going to be perfectly open and public <sighs> about it. I did have a uh, cosmetic procedure two weeks ago that I'm still healing from. If I could describe, the bottoms of her eyes are both bruised like she's been punched in the face, but they also actually look like butterflies because they're both incredibly symmetrical and it is exactly the shape of like the lower half of butterfly wings. Right. Like if you were going to a rave circa 1998 and you did butterfly eye makeup over your eyes, only you only did the under eye part and it was only in like purple and Bruce kind of yellowish yeah. colors. Yeah. yeah. It's as the Israelis would say, bidiuk, like exactly. That is exactly <laughs> right. I have two black eyes. Yes. I had an eyelid. But they're beautifully, but but they don't look like it's from being beaten up. They look like it was from a giant iron that was like smashed into your face very symmetrically. (laughs) I I think if you had seen it last week, it looked a little bit more like someone had socked me in both eyes. But yeah, I am definitely still only going out of the apartment wearing sunglasses because... Because I don't want Matt to get arrested. <laughs> it's just, it, 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 it does look problematic. But look, I am not the first New York woman of a certain age to have had eyelid surgery, okay? And I was just confessing to Rebecca, I'm about to have some bizarre peel, micro-needling, you know, facial refreshing situation of look, my own, all right? You get, you get to a certain age and things are just not as taut as they used to be okay like there was a there was a suppleness and a smoothness that you know it doesn't last that's right listeners so before you start feeling so you younger listeners before you start feeling all self-righteous it's just a matter of time it's just actually you know we were we were in Big Sur and we were at our favorite place in Big Sur Nepenthe and we were eating their perfect burger on their perfect deck overlooking the perfect Pacific Ocean over spring break And I go into the bathroom and there's this woman in the bathroom kind of like super, you know, doing her hair. And and I was so, I was really close to just leaning in and being like, I was cute once too. (laughs) You know, it brings to mind an interview I once read with Nora Ephron years Uh ago. uh And I don't remember the exact question. It was something like, if you could give your younger self advice, if you could say something to younger self or give advice to younger women, something like that, what would it be? And I'm paraphrasing, but her answer was basically like, I would tell myself at 26 to wear a bikini all the time. (laughs) Because you don't realize it at the time, you're totally hung up on the things you're self-conscious about, but you're never going to look that good again. Well, I have to say, uh, given all of my lifting a very heavy weight. I think I look quite good in a bikini. Oh, I mean, I know you do. I should wear a bikini all the time. I think you should. I think my ass does actually look better now than it did at 26. But the French have a saying, which I know I've brought up here before, your ass or your face. And I (laughs) chose 
I chose my ass because because as you get older, you gain weight, right? And it actually looks great for your face. But if you right. stay, you know, fit, your face starts to, and we saw this with Madonna, you start yeah. to, it no. starts to sort of, you look yes Skeletor. No. You look like Skeletor. Because, yeah, I appreciate that French saying, but I can speak from experience, even if you gain a few pounds and it fills out here and there and you're like... When the upper eyelids droop, they droop. Oh, shit. There's just nothing for that. Well, it, it is what it is. Listeners, it is what it is. <laughs> and so now we're going to talk about a 10 year old movie about superheroes? Yeah, I mean, look, it's not like there isn't stuff in the news we could be talking about. Oh, like what? Donald Trump getting fucking indicted? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Like, the, oh, that's a little something that happened. Yes. Okay. A former president, such as it is, I mean, he is technically one, uh, did get indicted for crimes. Um, and that that whole thing was very exciting. Oh, I didn't even tell you. Matt saw Trump. He was in Bryant Park. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. What? Yeah. It was on the day of the indictment. Like, I, I was at home, like, watching MSNBC as they were doing oh. the, like, three hours. We have our cameras yeah. stationed on Trump Tower and, waiting for him to emerge. Wait, I've told you that every time something really bad happens to Trump, <laughs> one of my friends just sings MSNBC because that's what we're just going right. Like, I want, <laughs> exactly. I want, to, I want Rachel Maddow. Just, just give give it to me. Exactly. And that's where I was mentally and emotionally. Um, Matt was physically at Bryant Park in Manhattan okay. for reasons. He was heading somewhere. Okay. And it was right at the moment where Trump's limo and motorcade came by heading from Trump Tower oh downtown God. to the courthouse. So oh he saw God. the motorcade. He saw. He has a photo of it. He took photo, oh took video. God. Trump, uh, window open, waving to the crowd. And you can hear all the crowd in Bryant Park booing and heckling him. <laughs> That I have to say, there's something about that in particular. The fact that like everyone in New York hates his guts uh -huh. when he just spent years trying to be the king of New York. Oh, no. Like every building that has his name on it, every property has either already removed it or is embroiled in some kind of legal process or battle to try to get that name removed. Absolutely. He's hated. But yeah, the indictment. Okay, I have one quick thing to say about the indictment. Okay. And then we, we should move on. Okay. Which is just that I, I hear a lot of people concerned that the first indictment that happened, and I say, you know, I say first, assuming there could very well be more, uh, seems sort of trivial. It, it seems to be not the big crime and the things that he should really be going down for. But I have to say, the evidence supporting this uh, accusation yes. is, is ample and irrefutable, it would appear. Okay. And it is a crime. Falsifying business records is a crime. It may not be the biggest fucking crime in the world, but it is a crime, and it's first-degree falsification to cover up other crimes, like not just the Stormy Daniels campaign contribution shit, but tax crimes. Like This is a crime, and... Uh, what's his name? Bragg, the DA, was pretty clear in his statement to the press, like, we prosecute this shit all the time. This is our bread and butter. It's what we do. I so, think like, the idea is, and this is where some lawyers such as people who I 
sometimes hang out with because I'm married to a lawyer feel yes. like the idea that the the move from misdemeanor to felony is that when you falsify it, it's just a misdemeanor. You falsified business records. Right. When you falsify it in order to commit a crime, that's when it becomes a felony. Okay. Yes. So the idea that the crime that it is falsifying to do is like lying so that he can win an election, that's the thing that does feel like what lawyers would call like novel litigation. Like that's kind of the novel part of it that makes people nervous about it actually being effective. I do understand that, except that Michael Cohen went to prison yes, that's for correct. that crime. For that like crime, that yes. Ex- not, correct. not a crime Absolutely. like that, similar to that. That exact that one. That exact the same one. crime. What I find really striking about it is the way that You know, part of me feels like this is going to be great because it's going to let all the other people who are on the verge of doing indictments feel a lot more confident about doing their indictments, like in Georgia or, you know. It breaks the seal. It breaks the seal. Um, One of the things I've been finding fascinating about all of this is that there is nothing that he will be indicted for that we did not see happen in real time including essentially almost all of the evidence. (laughs) Right, right, right. It is so, like, nothing, nothing, anything that is part of the case was in the fucking news. And it's just very weird to me to all of a sudden have it be recast in this new way when at the time we were like, hello, hello. So I guess it just, that's as long as it takes. It takes time. It does take time. And I mean, look, he may not see prison time from this particular indictment, but there's going to be a trial. There's going to be a trial. Um, There is. Unless he pleads, which he's not going to plead. So it seems like there will be a trial and it seems like the evidence is pretty clear that there, and there will be, you know, again, sentencing is a whole other thing, but it's hard to see a scenario going forward where there isn't a conviction on this charge. I think that is correct. And I am very uh, excited to see it. And I hope he's indicted for all the other crimes as well. Um, we also have things to talk about in terms of abortion. We have a lot of new stuff to talk I about, know. but we just don't have the time I or know. the energy, Elections actually. In Wisconsin. Oh, Jesus. I mean, we have things. We have things, but we're both really fucking beat up by our lives right now. <laughs> so we're just going to talk about something nice and easy. We're going to keep it light. <laughs> As Tina Turner says, first, we're going to take it easy, but things haven't always been easy. They've been rough. <laughs> So first we're going to do it easy, and then we're going to do it rough. And we'll right. do it rough next week. Next week. Next, next week. week. We'll do yeah, it We'll rough. get rough again. We'll get back to rough. I'm realizing now that I forgot to tell you what I'm drinking. And I forgot to remember to ask no, when I you think didn't you tell asked, me the first time. But I told we you got into how other I was things. doing, yeah. and uh, the, the subject changed. Okay. I'm drinking this liqueur that Matt brought home called Ricard. I don't know if you're familiar with okay. it. Okay. I've it's, seen it. Yeah, I'm sure I've you've seen, seen it. it. Ricard Pastis de Marseille. Um, okay. It's a French anisette liqueur, and you're supposed to drink it with like f- five parts water to one part Ricard. Okay. Which is not what I've been doing. I've been drinking it over ice, and I did start a while ago before we 
started this Zoom call, much less before we started recording. So just FYI. But it's wonderful because what you'll see here, oh, describe, uh-huh. describe to the listeners what you see. It has that wonderful cloudy look that is the cloudy look of absinthe when it's been poured over ice. So the it loosh. looks kind of yeah. the loose. Yeah, it has that nice ghostly. It comes out like almost a clear honey or caramel color. But then mm-hmm. if you put water in it, or have oh, ice yeah. in it that melts, it turns into this cloudy, almost milk. It almost looks like milk. So um, I love that just as a visual effect. Also, I feel very fancy because I'm drinking like a 1930s French thing. All right, Rebecca, tell me why we are talking about this movie 11 years after it came out. The Avengers in 2012. Yeah. We're talking about it uh, because Maya had never seen most of the MCU movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Um, what had you, you saw, for some reason, Thor Ragnarok in the theater. Yeah. Without and having then, seen anything else. And, and then, then, you then saw I Black saw Black Panther. I did. And you saw Shang-Chi. I saw Shang-Chi. And then I'd seen the first... Iron Man, but maybe you watched, you made me watch the first Iron I Man. I did. So we, we, we decided that we're going to make Maya watch through all of the Marvel movies and get her reaction because she is like a baby with a master's degree. She's going to watch them totally fresh. <laughs> so first you watched Iron Man 1, which you did not care for. But I then watched Captain America. You watched Captain America. So listeners, you can go back and hear our episode on Iron Man 1. I think the Captain America episode was only for patrons. That's true. So go to patreon.com slash sauce podcast and become a member and you can hear Maya's reaction to Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, so chronologically speaking, the next movie I should have made you watch would be Thor. But I couldn't bear to do it because I thought if I made you watch Thor, that would be the end. You would never watch another Marvel movie because the first Thor is, it's directed by Kenneth Branagh. And yeah, um, I don't know how much people are aware, but Kenneth Branagh is a hack of a director. Oh my, wait, wait, did you not see whatever Dublin or My Childhood, You Should Cry or whatever? No, did you? Belfast, Belfast, Belfast. It wasn't Dublin. He directed guys. Belfast. Did you see? Yeah, it? because it was about his childhood. Oh, I don't Belfast, know. It was him. Dublin. Like there's no. Difference. Yeah, yeah. And he was. It's him trying. It's him trying to do his fucking Steven Spielberg, you know, yeah. whatever yeah. fablemans. Yeah, I have no no desire to see that. Um, look, we don't have to get into it. I, I find that Thor has some some good qualities, and it definitely story wise, in terms of the overall MCU establishes some important characters and conflict but there's a lot of canted angles the camera just doesn't like to be level in that movie uh to the point where it's embarrassing to me so I told Maya to skip that one and jump right into the Avengers because I think the Avengers really is where the MCU becomes a thing and of course I also had you skipped Iron Man 2 which is thank thank you yeah no Iron Man 2 is it's not good it's not like (laughs) I, if you made me choose between that and, and Thor, I'll watch Thor anytime. Like, oh, my God. Oh, like I, it's so Christ. bad I had not even remembered that I made you skip it because it's like it doesn't register in my mind. Oh, my God. But we're, we're trying to, to do the Avengers. My experience of seeing the MCU movies was that 
I had not seen Captain America or Thor. Uh, I had seen Iron Man 1. That's it. And okay. I went in to see the Avengers. And I enjoyed it so much that I then went back and watched Captain America, the first Avenger, and okay. wh- whatever else had already come out. I mean, I guess if, if Iron Man 2 had already come out, I saw that too. Uh, but again, right. immediately forgot it for my own psychological well-being. Yeah. Yes. Um, so we're talking about this now because this project of having Maya rewatch the movies is taking a really long time. <laughs> it's been a while. But now that the news is like full of Texas circuit judges banning abortion pills and oh, Ron DeSantis existing... I don't want to talk about any of that right now. <laughs> so I made Maya watch The Avengers so we can move on with this Marvel Cinematic Universe watch through. And all right, Maya, tell the listeners your reactions. I mean, I think that by making me watch this, we might be done. We might be done with this watch through because I feel like they are all the same movie. And I'm left not wanting to talk about the Avengers. Actually, I'm left wanting to talk about what it means for society that we are watching the same movie over and over again, and it is this one. Like, that. that is kind of where I'm left with. I'm not left being interested at all. And I like trash. I like trash. I will read trash. I will watch me some trashy TV, like bring it to, and God knows right now, mama needs some trash. I am in some massive fucking trauma recovery from dealing with my kids' health. And I need, I need to escape. I do not need to watch anything like interesting or meaningful. So from what I'm, what I'm hearing, this movie did not provide you that. It did did not. not you did not feel that you were being absorbed in it, taken away by it, swept up in the action or the characters, any of it. Zero of it. Zero of it. Do you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> okay. Here is what I was left thinking about. Because that's the other thing. If I'm left thinking then it's a problem. And I know that you and I have this problem, right? That it's hard to go with us to any kind of a movie because we can never turn it off. And there are people who have to live with us and that's hard. And I apologize to all of them. (laughs) But I was whisked away by Top Gun. Do you know what I mean? Like I was- Yeah, and that was super politically problematic. Oh my God. Yes, it was, as we discussed in our episodes about it, right? (laughs) But there is a way that you see in these movies, the same 10 things happen, the same kinds of characters. I think that they are all essentially the same character with one or two performances of some quirks that are supposed to stand in for some deeper character that we never really get to know. Okay, so and so so you you watched you watched Captain America the First Avenger. You saw how Captain America was a scrawny kid that just wanted to do his part and proved himself worthy as it were and, and took this serum. You saw his I feel adventures. like I see everything creaking. 
it creaks under the weight. There is no well, like. Let me finish okay. my thought. Okay. All right. You saw Steve Rogers fall in love with Peggy Carter, lose his best friend Bucky, and then sacrifice himself and his life with Peggy only to wake up 70 years later in a world totally unfamiliar to him where everything he's known and loved and has fought for is gone. You know this character, right? He's not just like a generic character with a few quirks added on top. You've been on a journey with him and it is, if not totally unique, it is a distinctive and interesting journey. He's a man out of time. He's a soldier built for war, but who doesn't love war. And then in subsequent movies, he is a cardboard cutout. Are you saying that Steve Rogers struck you as a cardboard cutout in this movie? Yes, he did. Okay. They give each actor a backstory movie that then is supposed to serve them for the entire rest of their time in the cinematic universe. No, you can't say that. You have only seen like three movies. No, I've seen like five movies. No, but in terms of like Captain America, you have seen his first movie and you've seen the Avengers. We've talked about this Tony Stark. You've seen his first movie and you've seen the Avengers. You're making some assumptions about what is going to happen going forward. But I'm right. But I'm right. I'm going to, I'm going to suggest that you may not be. Um, I feel like, especially like I feel, you know why it is that I feel like I've seen it? Because I feel like every other X-Men movie is this movie. Right. But the X-Men movies, I felt like I got to know the characters more. The characters were more interesting. So but it's, I, it's interesting to for me to hear you say this because my impression of the Avengers when I first saw it was like, wow, the, the plot is extremely generic. Yeah. Like the plot it, is there's a MacGuffin. This this alien army, this like totally generic alien army is going to come and take over Earth. It's very uh, impersonalized and generic. But what makes the movie work, in my opinion, is the characters and the way that they interact together, which is like the Joss Whedon element of it. Um, I, I don't even want to get into Joss Whedon. I, but the the way that he has the characters, you know, banter with each other in humorous ways, but then also it. It uh, escalates into real conflict. You take the Tony Stark backstory that you have from Iron Man 1 and the um, Steve Rogers backstory that you have from Captain America 1, and then you bring these two characters together and you get to watch these sort of sparks fly as two people who are actually very different, who are both on the same side and are at odds with each other I mean, that's the whole, that's the plot of the movie. The plot of the movie isn't Loki's going to open a portal so the Chitauri army can come through. The The plot of the movie is, can the Avengers come together as a team? Okay. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But in many of the movies that I have seen, it feels like in the effort to have these little moments with each of these characters, you don't go deep into any of these characters. And so everything feels like, and I'm sure we've talked about this before, it feels like shorthand. It feels like Hmm. this one little exchange of five lines is supposed to be this shorthand for this much deeper 
bigger, richer, potentially richer conflict. And we're supposed to fill it in for them. And it feels so pat and so shallow and so uninteresting. Like, I cannot tell you, like, I feel like, yeah, maybe if you had a movie about a sort of Tony Stark-like character and a Captain America-like character, and they have to go through this conflict and it's this buddy movie and eventually gets, maybe you could go deeper into both of them. But instead, you also have to get in the Hulk and his problem, and you have to get in Black Widow and her problem. And she was friends with this guy, and now he's taken away. And because you're trying to resolve all of these things and tie them up in a bow by the time we get to ye old generic good versus evil release the alien army and Earth is at stake and New York is destroyed, everybody gets one beat to do their whole business. And it and and to me it is creaking along because you're like everybody needs their beat to do their business and we better have somebody die so that we can all all of a sudden have to come together, like it feels so shallow and creaky and none of the characters are interesting, and I feel like there are no real stakes because you don't really like the Jeremy Renner character like. Seeing him go bad doesn't have any real stakes. And then when she gets him back, all of a sudden they're having this deep conversation. But you've never been with them for long enough to care about their relationship really. So you're like, oh, this is the scene where we watch them have the relationship that makes them both decide that she's no longer just a spy. She's really a member of the army. Like, it just, ugh. So you're, you found nothing intriguing in the former Russian spy trying to make up for the evil that she has done that doesn't do anything for you that doesn't resonate or make you feel anything well you know that I have feelings about Scarlett Johansson and they are not positive ones oh my god that's right because I think that watching her is like watching an animatronic uh uh cardboard cut out I think that is so harsh. Like, I think that is unduly harsh. Like, she is <laughs> she is perfectly charismatic. And uh, for real, this is not Shakespeare. Like, she is meeting the material exactly where it's at. And I think doing a fine yes. job. She is meeting the material where it's at. And I'm saying the material is like animatronic cardboard cutout. Like, to me, the personality qualities or the backstories in these movies... Mm-hmm feels very much like um like a little sketch that the viewer is supposed to fill in with real meaning it all feels like shorthand for something yeah. it's like the same generic thing and if the idea is that i'm supposed to care because of these characters i feel like the characters or even how they talk or even what they're doing should be richer and it's really not Okay, that's interesting to me because I think the characterizations are so rich in this movie. But also, at least two of the characters that you've seen and three of the characters, in theory, have had a whole movie of background Mm -hmm. development already. So it's not sketched. It's there. They are established characters that have had journeys and are on journeys. But also, there's a way in which like for Banner, actually, there was a Hulk movie that's 
I guess technically also part of the MCU, um, though it it didn't feature um, what's his name, the adorable actor um, Ruffalo. Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo. The Hulk is such a cultural institution. He's such a cultural icon that there's an extent to which you can use shorthand there because the audience doesn't need to have seen the first Hulk movie. We know the Hulk. We know what that is. It's about a scientist guy with anger issues and what it symbolizes, you know, what it, what it sort of represents in terms of everyone dealing with the monster inside themselves. It's like, we're, we're there. We, we're already there with you. We don't need to have that like carefully explored. Um, I'll grant you, I will grant you that uh, Hawkeye, Clint Barton, uh, is not developed at all. He is just kind of there. And he just sort of like gets taken over by Loki at the beginning. And you're like, wait, who is this guy? Yeah. Uh, and if you're not a comic book reader, uh, he's in the movie Thor. But even in the movie Thor, he has this really small part. So if you're not a comic book reader, I think you wouldn't necessarily even recognize the significance of this character. But he's not really crucial anyway. He he barely really right. plays a major role in the emotional and um, interpersonal conflicts and journeys that happen in the movie. There's, you know, him Except and Natasha. he's there to facilitate Natasha's explanation of what her damage yeah. is or whatever. That's exactly why he's there. I don't know. I feel like... I'm not getting it. It's not working for me. And so I'm left with these bigger questions about what the fuck these movies are supposed to be. I'm so sorry. I'm such a big bummer this week. I'm usually not this big of a bummer. I'm sorry, too. Listeners. I'm sorry, yeah. too, to be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, no, so I mean, I'm, this is what we do. Like, we ruin things, right? Yeah, I know. But usually we're more sort of sparkling in how we ruin them. And with this, I don't even... It's and you're not, just like, this is just eh, eh. Yeah, just, I eh. know. And that's... Isn't that even what's more disappointing? It's not even pissing me off enough to get me excited to ruin it in some way that sparkles. Right. That, to but me, is the unkindest cut. Let's dive in because maybe we can find ways that it's it's mm. actually offensive. <laughs> Yes. I think it's important also to, as we do, talk about what's going on in this movie beyond its success or failure narratively, uh, drawing you in, getting you excited about the narrative, getting you interested in the characters. Yes, all of that stuff. Yes. But there are ideas about the world. Yes. That are implicit in in any movie. But... um. You had some thoughts, I think, about what this movie is doing or saying in terms of bigger ideas. Okay, so one of the big ideas that I see over and over again in these movies is this threat of one bad actor being in control of the whole world. And ultimately, it is a battle for that control, right? Right. And generally... This battle or fight can only be stopped 
by the one special one or the group of special ones who decide to sort of band against it, blah, 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 blah. And there's a lot of government CIA kind of action going on. It's like there are a million worlds. It's a multiverse, but somehow we're always at the CIA or some proxy from the CIA. Like yeah. we're somehow, oh, yeah, you know, it's shield. shield. Okay, fine. It's shield. Shield is not the CIA, but okay. it's but it's a CIA. Okay. <laughs> so basically every one of these movies is about the individual in the face of the big looming disaster. Right. And how each of these individuals in the face of that big looming disaster, how their individual personalities are or play out or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's not like the, 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 they all deal with the big looming disaster. It's very much like Top Gun. How like Top Gun was like, in this world, humans are becoming obsolete because you can press a button and send a missile. But really the entire fate of the whole universe is this dogfight of mano a mano, except it's not mano a mano because the other mano is just some like blank faced, faceless, yeah. faceless communist individual Borg right. item, right? Right. So it's the same thing here. It's like at the end of the day, the way they win is always with their fists. It's always with their fighting, with their particular skill in fighting. Um, even though each of those skills may be slightly different, but it's all bang, bang, boom, boom, fist, punch, hit, whatever. It's not like, I, and, and maybe some clicking around on the screen. I'm in the main frame of the main central frame, and we just have to <laughs> hack this thing really easily that was not a problem until 30 seconds ago and is now not a problem five seconds hence because I just hacked it. To okay. be fair, that does not happen in this movie. Oh my God, it totally does. There's a Tony Stark moment where he's like, well, we just have to manipulate beep bop boop. I'm like on a green screen moving my fingers around. Okay. That is not crucial the point to the is, climax. The point is, no, it's before the climax because during the climax, he has to bang, bang, boom, boom. So, you know what I mean? During, okay. But I actually want to address that because during the climax, what, what, do, what really say, how does Tony Stark actually save the day? It's not bang, bang, boom. It's sacrifice, sacrifice. It's self-sacrifice. And earlier we're like, oh, but you'd never self-sacrifice because you're what, a selfish no, piece of just, shit. And he's like, no, what, but I can't self-sacrifice. Like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah, the yeah. one to make the sacrifice oh, no, no, play. No, 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 no. Which you know when he says that and they're having that conversation, you're like, then Tony Stark is going to self-sacrifice. But he's not really going to be a different character afterwards. Anyway. But you don't know that because you didn't see the next movie. But I do know that because this is just... But you don't. I'm telling okay. you that you don't. Okay. I'm telling okay. you that you don't. Okay. Here's the thing. Go ahead. We're talking about the big looming disaster. It always ends in bang, bang, boom, boom. Their various quirks sort of dissolve in the face of the climactic scene, which is always the same scene. There is some CIA-like central headquarters that is always the thing, even if it's extrajudicial. Mm -hmm. It's some Don't. proxy of that. It's pretty much always extrajudicial. Extra <laughs> right. And there's no exploration of what a battle for control means. No real consequences for that. There's no world in which they've been under this Hitler-like control and all that. Like, there's no 
sort of rich experience of what it means to live under totalitarian control. Like, Oh, side note, I'm going to make you watch Andor. Okay. <laughs> I think you will like Andor. But do you know the premise of it? No. Did you see the movie Rogue One? No. Okay. So Cassian Andor is a character from Rogue One, but you don't even necessarily need to know that because this is a prequel. It's about living under, it's a Star Wars show, right? Okay, yes. Living under the Empire and Uh, how this character gradually becomes radicalized. Right. Okay, so that's interesting. That's interesting I think you would like it. It's like a really Um, good show. And I think we've talked about before how like part of the problem with Black Panther is that everything that's so wonderful in act one, right? like even when they open the movie so great, because the movie's falling under the weight of the climactic scene where even the differences have to become bang, bang, boom, boom, everything else is shorthand to make you feel like you've had some kind of an emotional experience or like check off those boxes. And it it all gets buried under the big fight. They they establish in that movie an an amazing conflict of ideas that is this like platonic ideal of screenwriting. Like, wow, right. your villain and your hero are like have a fundamental clash of ideas. Yes. And right. like the villain's wrong, but he's kind of right. And it's so good. And then they resolve it in a fight, in literally in a fist fight. Yeah. And I do I do maintain that it would be possible to create a climax to that movie where um, T'Challa would have triumphed over Killmonger by using the correctness of his worldview. Yes, <laughs> correct, correct, absolutely, especially because they set it up so richly and so beautifully and because it is such a proxy for these various conversations that are yes. happening and so you're like so oh my good. god it's so good and then so they just good. they just have to have this generic climax and i'll grant you absolutely that there's there's a lot of genericness going on in the climax the last half hour of avengers like for, there's a lot of fun going on it's it's really fun in the way that it's shot and there's these long takes where you follow one character and then they cross paths with another character and the camera follows that person without any cut between the takes and it's like exhilarating and fun there's humor there's action it's great but yes there is no resonance in terms of any bigger themes or ideas I do want to posit though that uh, going back to what I said earlier, the point of the movie isn't really about Loki or the Chitauri invasion or anything, and it isn't really about control. That absolutely is as much a MacGuffin as the Tesseract, right? It's there to give the plot something to do. What the movie is about is the Avengers coming together as a team. And you were talking about each character sort of like having their quirks, but then when it comes down to just comes down to it, it's just like punch punch kick kick whatever shoot shoot but but I would argue that the emotional gratification of it to the extent that that's there is in seeing this team who've been at odds who are on the same side but like have different values and priorities uh, different backgrounds to see them come together and and it's not just coming together and working together oh we're not fighting anymore but also that through the action, you see them each like 
taking advantage of what the other has to offer, playing okay. off of that and being bigger than the sum of their parts. You know what I was thinking about watching this that what? I thought was like, and it was a comic book. It's not a film. I mean, it is a film, but the film doesn't count because the adaptation was so excruciating. It made me think about The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the Alan Moore comic book. Okay. Um, because, I mean, that is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Of course, the whole shtick of it and a big part of the pleasure of it is that they're all different characters from Victorian literature of a specific era and they all meet in right, this world. Right. But very much, they are this group of misfits who are all being brought together to solve this problem by a shadowy and possibly untrustworthy political force. Yeah, so the Avengers. Except so much better. <laughs> Except so much better. Because some of the characters are really ugly and not going to be redeemed. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Okay, but that's a and different that's a it, different No, it's tone, a completely it's a different, different Thing. But also the way that they are solving problems and the way that they get through it, the characters are so specifically drawn. They all look so different. They're mm -hmm. all, it's mm -hmm. so visually weird. So I'm saying this to say, I like that plot. I have enjoyed that plot okay. in other things. I enjoyed that plot in the X-Men. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like yeah. there are times when I have seen that yeah, plot. I have enjoyed that plot a hundred times, possibly a hundred thousand times. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> the group of people who don't belong together having to fucking figure it out. Right. We have all watched this plot. From the beginning of all cinema, there has always been genre and there has always been repeated genre that people want to watch again and again and when it was silent comedy films people made the same fucking slapstick comedy shit and they made a hundred of them i and mean like, i mean it's not like so when people had narratives there were shot there was like the was train pulling oh, out of the station yes. genre genre <laughs> like of course of course and that's where like i'm not one of those people who's like the mcu is destroying i'm like no the MCU is just the present day version of which there were a million earlier versions. And most of it, we don't remember because it was trash. And so like, it does not stand the test of time. So we don't know about it. But in the same way that like, yeah, Shakespeare wasn't the most popular shit in his day. People were going watching bear baiting. Like it's fine. And so this kind of middle brow trash is fine. I'm not saying that it's the end of days, but what is interesting about looking at genre and the repetition of genre and, for instance, my obsession with, like, the fact that, you know, Uncle Tom's Cabin was the biggest blockbuster novel, mm -hmm. but then for every one person who read Uncle Tom's Cabin, five people saw some theatrical adaptation of Uncle Tom's Cabin because there were no copyright laws. Right. And so everybody was just performing their own version of Uncle Tom's Cabin. So, like... You look back at that and you're like, that's historically really fucking interesting. Mm -hmm. Uncle Tom's Cabin was the MCU of its day. <laughs> so we can so, okay, think I about a to, lot of- I'm sorry. I have to kind of take issue with that. Yes. The thing that you're describing is fascinating, really interesting, and I didn't know that. It suggests that you have people all over the country seeing versions that- 
could have any kind of relationship with the source material. Absolutely. It, it could be faithful. It could be whatever. And so you have a, a nation of people walking away being like, I know what Uncle Tom's Cabin is about. That's right. I That's know what right. what's in that book. And, and there were different and there were and and there were very melodramatic versions and then there would be satirical versions and sometimes they would do both versions the same night and they called it a double mammoth show where they would do wow. the the sentimental version and then the sort of more like like scabrous right. burlesque version at the same time. And That's and people were doing it. There was an article in Theater Magazine in 1930 that was like, whatever happened to the Tom show? And then they got tons of letters from all over the country with people being like, oh, no, we're still doing them. We're still doing the Tom show. That's, <laughs> in the 1930s. That's really fascinating. So, so, okay, there's this story that is being filtered out in a million different ways to an audience that is unimaginably large. Because you multiply all the people who read the novel by five, and that's like pretty much right. every American. So with Uncle Tom's Cabin, you have a text that mm -hmm. is then being read in these of so many different ways and presented in these different ways. Or taking the basic structure that is always the same and the top scenes that are always the same and sort of doing whatever their doing little what, yeah, adaptation have, is. Right. Yes. They have like, Correct. here is mm -hmm. here are the basic things you have to have to call it a Tom show. Yes. And then and then you get to create within that structure or around that structure. Correct. But when it comes to the MCU, it's all falling under one big project umbrella with control from above so that you're getting different directors that have different uh, styles. But but overall, the sort of play that you're describing is not what's happening. The playfulness of the play is not what's happening. And it's all under a single corporate entity's control, yes. which is, you know, hugely... But it's, it's more than a single... It's more than a corporate entity. Just the corporation is Disney. Wasn't always Disney. Marvel got bought by them, but... But the studio has had, you know, before it was Kevin Feige, it was someone else. But like really like a small group of individuals, if not one individual, overseeing and controlling the entire right. meta-narrative. And being in control of all of these iterations of essentially the same fucking yeah. movie right right which is different and i know that that's different and that's also something interesting to think about like you're always thinking about like who who benefits from this narrative you know what i mean like yeah who wins who benefits from this narrative and i think it is a very interesting comparison or to talk about it in terms of the tom show it is the dominant genre reperformance of our moment that okay. most people are engaging with. I'll, I'll grant you, like, in that way, absolutely. Absolutely. You're talking about a a narrative that people are, are hungry for or have hungry been. Hungry for. I, I think there's absolutely some fatigue at this point. Yes, I think uh, there is a great deal of fatigue. fatigue. Yeah. And also it's possible that my own fatigue, even though I've only watched five of them, I'm already tired. And so even people who enjoyed them greatly at this point are going to be like, oh, Christ, you know what? I'll skip. This. I'll set this one out. Yeah. Um, it is very interesting, though, that 
in this moment of like the last 10 years, basically, last yes. 11 years, up until at least recently, because I think it's gone in interesting directions in the last couple of years since uh, Avengers Endgame. But from Avengers in 2012 up until Avengers Endgame, it really is all of these movies working together to create a giant version of that narrative. Right. And right. there's been incredible like, like a gratification that people have experienced from that. Like people right. are into it and have loved it. If we are looking at as a metaphor, if we are looking at the Tom show as a mm -hmm. metaphor, the impact that the Tom show has is that it, even in the different versions, in the multifarious different versions that we'll never be able to even get our hands on because there were so many different versions for so many decades, there were certain ingredients that got repeated again and again and again that had an impact about the vulnerable little white girl at risk, mm -hmm. about what a good black man looks like, mm -hmm. about what evil looks like, that one could say had a profound narrative impact that we could spend, if we were those kind of academics, the rest of our lives picking apart, okay? Mm -hmm. So what I want to just say right now is with this Marvel Cinematic Universe, even though it's coming from a single corporate entity, what is it about this narrative that we are watching again and again and again and again? What does it do to us? What do we think some of the consequences of this could be? Let's, let's move to even bigger picture. We've talked about what we thought of the movie itself. Yes. You talked about, we talked about the... Um, repeated structures, re repeated, repeated structures, structures that you're kind of stuck in. Yeah. Um, and I think the idea that these movies are about a battle for control. They are yes. about world domination most of the time. Always. And, yeah. World domination or world destruction. All of them. And it's almost always a single evil entity that wants to yes. exert evil control or destruction. Yes. And then an individual or group of individuals who are extraordinary in their ways. Yes. Who have to stand up to this threat. Yes. Um, but rarely, rarely is it successfully like contextualized in a way that uh, evokes any kind of meaningful metaphor yes. about like real world hegemony, yes. control, Correct. totalitarianism, or anything that's like yes. actually real. Yes. Also, because there's always, in the same way that we were talking earlier about like the small individual as a metaphor, the reasons for wanting the control are often some bullshit, personal, very reduced reason. My puppy as a child, whatever. Right. And then the reason for then not wanting that control similarly gets, it feels a little small. Or it's like save the day, but okay, it's, what well, day? It's, it's generally, uh, oh, even in my favorite superhero movies, like with the exceptions of, you know, maybe the first Black Panther, uh, there's a couple others I could think of. I, I want to say Iron Man 3, but 
We'll talk about that when I make you watch it. Oh, um, man. Listen, it's true that, generally speaking, the heroes oppose the villains because the villains are villains. Right. Because they're bad and what they want to do is wrong or harmful. They're going to hurt people. Whatever it might be, it's it's bad. Yes. And the heroes are good. Yes. The heroes have their own backstories. They have their own mm, challenges, obstacles, goals, things that they need for their own personal growth, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to their relationship with the villain in any given movie, it's usually pretty much this is bad and has to be stopped and I am good, so I will stop it. Right. Okay. The question you're asking is a good one. What are the core pieces of this reiterated narrative? Yes. What are the essential elements? And Correct. what is that teaching us or leaving with us Correct. as a culture? Yes. I think for me, the thing that seems most obviously disconcerting about it is this like devotion to the idea of individual heroism. Yes. The extraordinary individual, like, I never understand in, in superhero movies, I'm, I'm never quite sure if the extraordinary individual is supposed to represent sort of just, like, every individual, we're all right. that person. Right, Or if they really, like, are someone special that we're supposed to be, like, they are above us. Right. Like, I feel like with Superman... We're all, everyone can kind of be like, no one identifies with Superman. No, nobody's no like, like, oh, Superman is me. me. No, they're like, yeah. oh, we're watching the great Superman, but there's only one of him. So we get time with him. We get to know him a little bit. No, we, and Superman has no personality. Well. And I know DC fans come at me. Go ahead. <laughs> but with the MCU and very much with this movie, it's not positioning these people at all as being larger than life i mean it is and it isn't because you have things like the the thor iron man battle in the middle of the movie which is just like oh these are gods they're just like pounding each other with so much force and who's gonna have the bigger force the god force or the man produced high tech force Right. Yeah, gods versus tech, right? And they're pummeling each other at a level that would disintegrate any ordinary person. Like they're they're you're definitely supposed to perceive this as these are titans. These are giants above but then, and beyond regular humans. Titans, they're just like us. They make stupid <laughs> little jokes. They you know what I mean? Like, right, no, they're flawed. They're they're, they're egotistical. They, right. They're it, flawed, they're egotistical, they have nothing really of interest to say because they're not very interesting fucking people. Like it's you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it, it's so I, I I don't think that's true. I I think Bruce Banner has many interesting things to say. Oh, he does. He does. He, <laughs> he does. does. He he truly does. And he likes Tony. So by the, which property is that? Tra- the, trans, um, the trans- transitive the property. Transitive property. By the transitive property, Tony is also interesting. So what does it mean? I feel like this idea that everything is ultimately going to be fine because big, strong people are going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Is dangerous. I don't disagree with that. I think the focus on the people who are powerful and how they might feel about it, it's sort of like rich white women being upset about like abortion rights being taken away, but they're not the ones who are really going to suffer. 
And so why would you make all the stories about that about them? Because we're not seeing the real location of the consequences. We're seeing the big, powerful white person being like, look at this terrible thing. Like that to me is deeply uh, mm, problematic. I I think so too. I mean, I I do agree with that. Uh, One of my biggest issues with MCU movies generally is the sort of like position that Tony Stark has, and this is similar, I suppose, with like Batman and Bruce Wayne, and they they make the character ultra rich. Yes, he's ultra rich. You know, it's like a superpower in itself, but um, it shields him from any consequences. Yes, it buffers him from consequences, and and it entitles him to this special position, this special privilege. Yes, and that becomes more prominent. I mean, you haven't even really seen that in these movies so far. But as the narrative goes forward, that becomes a, like a bigger and bigger thing as Tony becomes like, he's not the leader of the Avengers, but he's like the funder of the Avengers. And it becomes like, what is this <sighs> extra governmental team? They have no oversight. Yes. They have no accountability. They are extrajudicial. It's what they decide is problematic. Right, right. And what and what they decide is the right way to fix it. And we are to agree with them and support them because they're good. They're the good guys. Yes. And we're, of course, we're going to, like, anyone who is uh, pointing a finger at them and saying they've done something wrong is mistaken. It doesn't understand the situation, understand that they did what they had to do because they would only do what they have to do because they're good. They're the good guys. Yes. And this sort of unquestioning acceptance, they may be flawed. Yes. They may have issues they may need to grow as characters and all that stuff but when it comes to good and evil they are good yes and and like the idea like well actually there's a reason we have government agencies with oversight you know there's a reason that we don't just let the strongest people the physically strongest people or even the smartest people yes just have control yes. because they're better than us. Yes. We don't do that. Yeah. yeah. But in the movies, we want to do that. In the movies, that's exactly what we want. And it's so interesting then that Loki's like, you just want to have somebody tell you what to do. And we're all sitting here like, that's not how I really feel. You know, like that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, <laughs> we want we want freedom. Well, we watch the same movie over and over and over again, right? <laughs> right. So I feel right, like... Right, right. There is something even more disturbing to me about little shorthand moments, which I see increasingly in film and even in TV, that little shorthand moments stand in for real emotional experiences. That to me is something that I'm seeing where like we fill it in. Oh, this gesture is supposed to stand in for a moment where there is this tension that is being played out. But we don't really see the darkness or the ugliness or whatever being played out. It's all Hmm. very much on the surface. And I feel like... I don't don't need things spelled out for me, Maya. I can infer where necessary. No, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm Oh my God. But what I'm saying is, it is all so spelled out that there is no strange behavior that points to a darker and more complicated humanity. 
And I am bored by that. And I'm concerned. I, I want to, I just want to put out here that, um, you have to watch Captain America Winter Soldier. You have said this to me many, many, it is, many times. It is one of my favorite. It is probably my second favorite MCU movie. What's your favorite? Uh, uh, Infinity War. Okay. And that's so, like the, the, the first part of the two-part like climax of the of first story of the arc of the entire universe. Okay. But, but within that story arc, Winter Soldier, I think is the height of what the MCU can be and not obviously not all the movies live up to it and maybe you won't care for it but I think it complicates things in the world right the fictional world in an interesting way it kind of hits on some thoughts and ideas about control and what that means right maybe it would resonate more with you and I would also say Iron Man 3 it's such an underappreciated film it goes out of its way to, yeah, and I called it a film. I did. Um, to address sort of like Tony's vulnerability and consequences, like the aftermath of something like what happens in the climax of Avengers. And thematically, metaphorically, I would be surprised if you didn't enjoy it. Plus, also, it introduces the Tony Slattery character who appears in Shang-Chi. And I think you should see that character's background. So okay. My homework for you. <laughs> okay, so I have to basically watch Winter Soldier and Iron Man 3, and then can I really be done for real, though? After that, if you want to be done, we can have a conversation about okay. that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, my and, God. Okay, no, don't go into it with that attitude, or it's just a <laughs> foregone conclusion, okay? <laughs> Listeners, am I just a big fucking bummer? Yes. <laughs> it's okay. You can tell her she is. She can take am it. Am I just too serious? Or listeners, is there other trash? Because I'm telling you guys, I am desperate. Okay. I need to recover. So I want to hear. Tell me. Everyone, you need to contact us and tell us your favorite trash. What is a good, just like... Lose yourself in the shallow fun of it kind of movie or TV show. Pleasure. I will take all genres. I'll take romance. I'll take things blowing up. I'll take spies, political thrillers. I might even fucking surrender and watch the fucking Ben Affleck. We're supposed to think that the creation of the Nike sneaker has it's any kind of emotional good importance. Reviews. I don't know. I'm with you. I'm like, I don't uh, understand look, where the emotional connection is in this Late movie. stage capital. Every time <laughs> they've called it late stage capitalism, there is another later stage. <laughs> right. And it's later, like really fucked up. Capitalism. So now we're supposed to care that the creation of a sneaker that the, has made billions of dollars, of the heroic creation no, of a sneaker, no one believed they could do shoot it. Me in the head. Against yeah, all yeah, odds, exactly. that sneaker. Exactly. Oh my god! But you know what? If it's good and it'll take me away, take me away, listeners. We want to hear from okay, you. Okay, listeners, you can contact us via email. We are saucepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the social medias as at Sauce Podcast and contact us that way. And of course, the best way to get in touch is to join our Patreon. 
because everyone who joins our Patreon gets to come on the Sauce Speakeasy, our Discord chat, and you can talk about why Maya's wrong about the Avengers, what other movies Maya should watch, whatever you want to talk about. Go to patreon.com slash sauce podcast. Check out the membership levels and we would love to see you there. Yes. And if you want to directly tell me why you think I'm a fucking bitch for not liking this shit, you can find me on all the social medias at Maya Grants. Anywhere you are looking for Maya Grants. Or maybe they want to let you know how validated they feel that you have finally voiced their similar but you want to do it but you want to do it privately yeah, you probably and I do want to do that privately and we'll just form our own little community and you can we find will. me as at gynostar <laughs> on all the various platforms and uh, we will be back with probably something more serious but we'll see how we feel until then <laughs> adios amigas. <amigos. laughs>